0: Baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you wanna feel. Say what you wanna say. You're gonna die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day. Welcome
1: to another episode of Tangentially Speaking. I'm Dr. Christopher Ryan, and today I'm joined by the lovely Jaya Ma.
0: Hello.
1: Hello. (laughs) Jaya, tell, tell our listeners... Why, why are you so interesting, aside from the fact that you're incredibly lovely, as oh, anyone can see if they go to your website, which is
2: sexisyou.com?
1: Sexisyou.com. You? You. So, how did you become? Are, do you refer to yourself as a sex bird, as a sex therapist? A somatic
2: sexologist.
1: Somatic. And it's
2: not somatic, Some people, that I would mm. say. Or
1: semantic.
2: Yeah. Somatic, which means body based. So, right. the difference is a lot of people just just talk about sex, and while yes, that is part of what I do is talk about sex, I take sexuality from a hands-on perspective. So if someone comes to see me, we're not just gonna sit across from each other and you know, blah, 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 this is what's going on, blah, 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 here are some things you can do. Um, I look at it from the point of, I need to know what's going on in your body. Sex is something we do, it's part of who we are as human beings, and for me, talking about it doesn't do the trick. Mm. We need to actually see, I need to see a couple having sex. Sometimes. So do
1: you do most of your work with couples?
2: I work with couples, singles. Um, I'm really into writing books these days. Mm-hmm. So that's that's been a big part of it, which I love working with people. That's probably my biggest love. But um, writing books hits so many people that yeah. I feel like, oh, okay, I'm really getting a bigger effect in the world sure. because my mission really is to help people unleash their erotic ecstasy. So.
1: Unleash your erotic ecstasy yes. and let it run wild through the neighborhood.
0: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh-huh.
1: Okay, so what, what are some of the techniques for unleashing one's erotic ecstasy?
2: Well, I think one of the first steps is looking at your own shame, you know, on a shame. psychological level right. is, you know, what are the things that are holding you back from really owning your erotic power, owning mm-hmm. your erotic persona? And then who are you as an erotic creature? Like yeah. who, who, like for me, a lot of the process in my own personal life has been uncovering those levels of shame. Cause I think like, mm. oh, I've got to this place where I, like, I'm really free in my sexuality and my expression and it's like, oh no, there's this thing. I just came up against another thing. And,
0: mm.
2: and I, I often, in, the, in my new book about oral sex, I tell the story of my first moment of really being shamed sexually. Cause I don't think we come in feeling bad about our sexuality yeah
0: i think that we come in
2: already ecstatic right and when i was i might have been like maybe five four or five i went across the street in the bushes with a boy and was, you know, I'll show you mine, you show me yours, and I was even sort of, I don't know how I knew this stuff, but I was like kind of instructing him on how to give me oral sex, I was like five. So maybe I came in a little erotically gifted, but. um, (laughs) Sounds like
1: he got the gift.
2: (laughs) Um, My grandmother called me in.
1: Uh oh. And
2: I wasn't supposed to be across the street for one thing, So I thought, okay, I'm in trouble because I was across the street. It didn't even cross my mind that I was in trouble for doing this thing in the bushes. Uh, I thought I was in trouble for going across the street. So I went and I hid under the bed because it was like my place to hide. Right. And my grandmother said, you know, I won't beat you if you come out, like, just come out and tell me what you were doing. And I came out and I said, matter of factly, you know, I was... And making him like my, you know, tutu, which is what I called it at tutu. the time. And my grandmother beat me.
0: Oh.
2: And, you know, the, the big thing about it for me was that this was bad. Right. So my sexuality is bad, and I liked it, so therefore I am bad. Right. And so we get these cues, I think, somewhere along the line that because we enjoy something that is so bad— we inherently are bad. And we all come yeah. from sex. We, somebody had sex somewhere to create us. And if sex is bad, then we must be dirty and bad. Yeah. So it's a deep psychological yeah. thing that, that, that I have looked at and have journeyed through uncovering shame about oral sex or shame about mm-hmm. anal sex or, or just even the anus in general because that's like a part of the body, I think. Where people hold a lot. It's been my final frontier, the anus. The final frontier. The final frontier. <laughs> where no man has gone
0: before. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes.
2: And and how do we how do we unravel mm. all the things that culture, society has told us about yeah. our sexuality and thus become who we really are, which I believe is is ecstatic expression of our sexuality and very empowered in our sexuality. And I also believe that it's in our bodies. It's not just in our minds. But the body, I believe, never lies, and it always tells the story of a person's history Hmm. and tells the truth of who they really are once you uncover and work through that history. So from a somatic perspective, a hands-on perspective, when I'm working on somebody's body, I'm seeing oh, there's shame here in the hips. Oh, there's this oh, really? this thing here. Um, right. Sort of like, you know, you're, you're a big genital expert. I feel like I sometimes read people's genitals.
1: A big genital expert <laughs> or an expert on big <laughs> genitals? So, so you read people's genitals? Yeah, like, well, it, like in like some way, it's sort reading, of like, sort of. yeah,
2: like, like you can mm-hmm. see a person's history. Really? Like an anthropologist. Yeah, of, I was know, thinking like,
1: you're like an erotic archaeologist. Yes, you're sort of chipping away in, and finding yes. the... The shards of previous experiences. Right. Very interesting. So
2: once we've uncovered the shame, then there are different tools. Breathing, movement, touch skill certain areas of the body that are hot spots, you know, and once we understand anatomy and mm. how the body works and how it likes to be touched, then we can help others unleash that ecstasy. You can unleash it for yourself. You don't need a partner to do it. I think that's also a mythology that like, we have to rely on some lover to do things, whereas mm. we can really reach ecstatic states all on our own. I have, I have a personal ritual that I do to, to get me very quickly into very high, high arousal states and ecstasy.
1: Are you just going to tease us with that, or are you going to tell us what it sure, is? Sure,
2: I can tell you. Um, I use breath. So the breath, the breathing that I do, I, I have a number of different breathing techniques that I use. But one is um, breathing in through the mouth and out through the mouth. And it's almost like holotropic breathing. Right. If you've heard of that. But it's that, and I'm breathing loudly so people can hear. But And I'll speed the breath up as I go, kind of like a train that starts off really slow. It's turning
1: and, me on, I'll tell you that.
2: And then I use sound if I want to get into like a even more of like that. What did you call it? What's the big word? I'm getting female high and female
1: copulatory vocalizations. Yes,
2: female copulatory vocalizations. Ah, 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 ah. You know, like getting those sounds, the the sounds of ecstasy. Because I think orally, especially as women, we are very orally turned on. Right. A U. Right. Orally turned on. And hearing my own sound or hearing my lover's sound can be a, a huge way to get me into a peak state yeah. erotically. So sound, breath, movement. So I think that people get frozen in their pelvises and we don't move. Right. And so like being able to sort of undulate the hips, undulate the body. For me, that's part of my personal practice is how do I like to, how does this body want to move and undulate to get into more of that ecstatic erotic space? So
1: I can already feel that this is going to be one of the most difficult interviews I've ever done. I do uh, this.
2: Like, this has been a theme. It's getting
1: with, really hot in here.
2: I was just doing a show and, and the, the comedian co-host, like, couldn't barely talk. I was <laughs> really? using him to demonstrate. <laughs> so really? anyway, oh, wow. um, this happens. But so we've got, <laughs> we've right, got I'll, I'll try breath. to keep my shit together here. we've got yeah. sound we've got movement then there's touch so I always do some kind of touch on my body on my partner's body if I'm leading them through it or someone on my table that it's this so I've got breath ah, with a sound ah, and then I'm moving my body and I'm touching my body all over especially in erotic places that turn me on and um, backing up to the very first step for me is always intention. So I use some kind of intentionality, like I want to go to an ecstatic place, or I want to work through some challenge in my life. Mm. So this is also like kind of like therapy for me. I believe mm. that orgasm and sexual expression are one of the fastest ways to release tension. Right. Um, again, maybe I'm a sex addict because <laughs> yeah, right.
0: no, That's sex a definition a of a, a sex to addict. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: but it is a. I use a blindfold sometimes, taking out the the sight because right. then you can go inward right um, and, and that's it allows me to pay attention to the sensation as opposed to paying attention to what's going on in my head right. I think people get too much in their head about sex and too serious about sex and sex is primal it's something that happens in the primal brain mm. if you're in your cerebral cortex in the thinking brain mm-hmm. you 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 can't have an orgasm right
0: it's
2: very very difficult right. so yeah. we have to get into that primal place and breath is I think one of the fastest ways to get there
1: I just Two days ago, I saw a presentation uh, given by a neuroscientist mm-hmm. about the neuroscience of sexuality. Mm-hmm. And he was going through all these um, functional MRI brain scans, you mm-hmm. know, that, that show real time what's happening in the brain. And uh, the research backs up what you just said, that particularly in women, the centers of the brain involved with planning and sort of conscious, you know, I'm awake thinking. Mm-hmm. Um if they don't, they, they cease functioning, they, they sort of go blank mm-hmm. at orgasm. Mm-hmm. And if they don't go blank, there's no orgasm. Right.
2: And during childbirth. Ah. So we need, like they're very similar functions during right. childbirth. The only way you can really have that yeah. natural, non-drug-induced right. childbirth is by going into this orgasmic right. state. Um,
1: yeah, Isn't it interesting that so many of the most important transcendental or transcendent experiences in our lives happen when we, how can I say this? It's all about non-thinking. It's about Mm -hmm. learning not to think. Mm -hmm. You know, musicians often talk about how you go through this period of where you're you're really intensely thinking. You're you're practicing. You're learning your instrument. Mm-hmm. You're, but then, if you don't get to the point where you can forget all that, right? You never become a true artist, right? right? That's when the art starts, as opposed to the mm-hmm. technique, you know.
2: And as one of my friends, Sherry Winston says, you have to learn how to play your own instrument before you can play a duet well,
1: to become good, a true virtuous. So, point. so. Yeah. and we
2: play with yeah. lots of musicians.
1: You know, another <laughs> thing I was thinking of about. Oh, you play. We're not talking <laughs> jamming. Jamming. <laughs> um, Uh, when you were, you were speaking about, uh, the way you use sound Mm -hmm. to create a state within yourself, I was thinking about the research showing that smiling makes you happy, Uh you know, and these, that we, we have the, we have the causality of things backwards in many cases where, you know, yeah, sure. If, if something is, uh, you know, makes you happy, you'll smile, but it also works the other way. If you feel really shitty, and you just force yourself to smile, smile your mood will improve you
2: create the biochemistry exactly. of happiness exactly it works
1: both ways mm-hmm. yeah so you can create states by faking them in a mm-hmm.
2: way mm-hmm. yeah fake it till you make till it Till you make it yep yeah one of the things you said that reminded me of you said you know there's a learning phase and then there's the phase where you just are out of your brain and right. you're you're just in it and i think that this is a really important thing for sex people don't separate the two mm. because we we have kind of a lack of sex sex education happening and the sex education that is happening is usually like kind of reading books and it's not from a body-based perspective right so one of the things that i offer to a lot of my clients and students is actually doing something I call sex lab. It sounds totally geeky, but it's really fun. And it's time for just learning with your lover or with yourself, where you set up, let's say, um, I was actually just writing one for a client on touch and learning touch, because I think that that's a really important aspect to our sexuality. And so the lab was touch levels. And then the hypothesis is by learning touch levels, I will become more aware of my lover and of how we're touching one another and thus more connected mm. and feel more pleasure. And so therefore then the exercise would be you go through feeling all these different layers of, of touch being one being just the heat that you're feeling off your lover's body and there's six of them, hair, skin, fascia which is the layer between the muscle and the skin, the muscle and then the bone and then back out and then noticing at each layer how does that feel? And then when you're touching somebody, you're touching all six of those layers. And we often just think of the skin. Mm. And, and so then, then afterwards, you regroup and go, okay, well, what worked? What didn't work? And that this isn't a time where you're like worried about having orgasm or being good in bed or anything. It's just learning. It's just learning and being in your brain. It is yeah. about being in your brain for those moments right. so that when you get into a sexual situation, you can let go of technique. You can let go of all the things you've learned and just be in your primal brain. And there, there are, it's very hard for us these days because we're so stressed out, I think, especially for women. And then, and then there are all these things that we don't set up. If you think about birth, for example, medicalized birth nowadays. You've got bright lights. Bright lights keep you in your cerebral cortex. Yeah.
0: You've got people point. coming
2: in going, people wait a know. minute, um, this is da-da-da. What about da-da-da? And they're asking you questions about, yeah. you know, you're not dilated, da da Well, of course, then you're in your cerebral cortex. Right. You're not in a, in a proper position. You're in right. a position where um, your head is elevated, usually, mm. uh, higher than your pelvis, mm-hmm. which keeps adrenaline in the system. Mm. Um, and adrenaline, as we know, is addictive. So So anybody else in the room who has adrenaline coursing through their bodies is affecting you with more adrenaline as opposed to the opposite, which is oxytocin, which is helping with bonding and orgasm and pleasure and all of those things. So when we look at positioning, we look at bright lights, we look at people asking you questions. You know, imagine making, trying to make love in those same conditions. And I actually did an experiment where where I tried it. I was like, let's turn on really bright lights. Let's like, ask me what we're going to have for dinner,
1: you know, and let's see. The sound guy, the guy with the reflector. Yeah. And that's why they get paid to do that because it's hard. And they're performers. And that's something
2: we have to remember is that porn porn is a performance. Anyway, that's a whole, that's a whole other like thing that I get really key on because I think a lot of people get their sex education from pornography. Right. And so we have to look at that as performance, and a lot of times the performers are what I call kind of like fake aroused, mm-hmm. where it's drug or you know they're not the they're, the editing makes it look like they're aroused for long periods of time. Or believe me, I've been on the sets, and um, and the women are never really. I very rarely see fully aroused vulvas in many of the porn mm-hmm. because how can you when yeah. you're, I mean. I do know some, I will take that back, because I do know some performers who can get into a total headspace and they forget yeah. about everything else that's, yeah. on, that's going around. Them.
1: Yeah. I I, used, I worked for a porn company. Really? Yeah. I had... Something of,
2: I did not know about. <clears professors throat> one right. of
1: my many strange jobs over the years. Yeah, I. what happened was, this was like 95 or something like that. And uh, uh, internet was still pretty new. And I came to this porn site that had i worked as a photographer previously i'd been a photographer for a while so i sort of i'm sensitive to good photography and bad photography Mm -hmm. and uh the site had really beautiful photography nice lighting you know they were using good equipment they knew what they were doing Mm -hmm. the models were beautiful it was well done and i read um i guess it was in uh a profile of one of the directors or an actress or something. And it was just this silly, ridiculous, bad English that had been translated from Hungarian or something <laughs> by somebody. <laughs> And so I just copied it and underlined all the mistakes and pasted it into an email that I sent to the webmaster saying, hey, you guys spend a lot of money. You're obviously trying to create a quality product here. Right. You should edit your English because it's, it's completely distracting to right. you know anyone who reads English. And I thought, I'll never hear from them, of course. But two days later, I got an email saying, are you free for an interview tomorrow at 4 o'clock? This was in Barcelona. Uh And I went, and it turned out this was the biggest porn-distributing company in the world, private. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they hired me, and it was the best job I ever had. They sent me texts, and they paid me like, I don't know, it was like... uh, a buck and a half a line or something Uh like that, you know, and it was already in English. So all I had to do is just go and clean it up, send it it. back. And the money was in my bank. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. Strange, strange days. Yeah. Funny. But anyway, so I've been on some porn sites as uh, some, you know, film sites as well. Yeah. And it's, it's, one of the least erotic, places I've ever been, you know. You haven't
2: been to my sets yet.
1: No, no. I've been to some other ones that, yeah. that were much better, generally run by women. Yeah. That seems to be the difference.
2: Yeah, one of my one of my big things is breathing, getting mm. the performers breathing and getting them into a space where they forget the cameras are there, where it's about connection with one another. Right. Um, as a, a director and filmmaker, and I worked with Lawrence Lanoff, who worked with Playboy for many, many years, mm. and he really taught me a lot about... Creating a space where the performers feel different than what they've ever felt on, you know, a normal porn, porn set. Right. Not the bright lights. We right. usually use much dimmer lighting.
0: Uh-huh.
2: You know, we, we change it so that they can get into trance space. Right. We have them breathe. We have them, you know. Right. Uh, oh, that brings me back to another way to get out of the cerebral cortex. Something you said about smiling uh-huh. and affecting the neurochemistry of the brain. There's actually a technique that was taught for birthing, for orgasmic birthing in the Black Sea by a woman named Elena Tanetti. And they were out there birthing with like dolphins and whales and there was no, I mean like if something happened there was no, they had to hike in and camp for days at this place where women are giving birth in the Black Sea in Russia. So they had to have techniques to get them Out of their fear, out of whatever was going on in their head Mm. and into their primal, you know, into the brainstem so that they could continue giving birth because they would get stalled. So she created this breath technique, which is based on facial expression and um, mashing up the face all crazy because then the brain doesn't know what emotion or neurochemistry is prevalent and it makes it drop into the primal aspect of the brain really and so by mashing up the face and making all kinds of different facial expressions for a period of time while doing uh, chaotic breathing so it's like (laughs) they call it monkey breath because it looks like monkeys you know if you you think about bonobos or chimpanzees breathing (laughs) you know you do all this kind of crazy stuff with your face it it takes you right into the primal so i actually tell couples you know if you guys are mad at each other or you just had really stressful days, just do a little monkey breath and <laughs> laugh hysterically at each other, but it changes the state. it changes the state of wherever they are in their right. thinking brain and just by simple simple breathing and mashing up the facial muscles yeah, it looks crazy, but you I mean you don't have to do it in front of anybody. you can go in your bathroom and do it for five minutes and
1: monkey breathing in the bathroom <laughs> That sounds like a title to something. <laughs> What are you even up to? Just a little monkey breathing in the bathroom.
2: Monkey breathing in the bathroom.
1: So, okay, let me just uh, touch these bases here. So, you've made erotic films. Mm -hmm. You you make erotic Mm -hmm. films. You've got a video podcast, which I was just on. Mm -hmm.
2: Okay. Sex with Jaya.
1: Mm Sexwithjaya.com. You've got a private practice Mm -hmm. where you're doing somatic.
2: Sexology. sexology yeah some people say sexological body work i like somatic sexology better i, I think that sounds sexier.
1: better yeah. yeah uh what else okay, you're, I write you're books. breeding horses uh, <laughs> no training horses. falcons and uh, you're a test pilot uh, <laughs>
0: no
2: no um i am learning to speak spanish uh but anyway that's a muy bien yes yeah, so i can teach in espanol uh, um I do have books so oh, Red right. Hot Touch books. was my first book Red and then Hot I Touch. had a second, second book that just came out called Sex Positions You Never Thought Possible and a third book coming out in January on oral sex um, called Blow Each Other Away
1: wow,
0: so
2: nice I like I really like writing um, I speak so also like you mm. going, going around and speaking and doing different events Right. I you know this is like my passion and my love oh and I live with two men Two men. Yeah.
1: Two two sexy smart men. Yeah. Yeah. I met them both at your birthday two years ago.
2: Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We they, went they out to were dinner. Both there, no one. No,
1: only one was there. Yeah. D love. Sir D love. Right. Right. Yeah. And you live in this amazing place. I wish people could see where we are right now. We're in in California. In like. Looking out this window on the canyon, and yes. it's just beautiful, see the like, L.A. Yeah. kind of vibe. Blue skies. It's what people in, you know, in Bhutan think of when they think of Los Angeles, you <laughs> <Yeah>. know. <laughs>
2: it is sort of like a glass house. We have a lot of windows. It's
1: a beautiful place, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah
2: lucky find it's not always easy and i i think this space is very sexy this house there's something sexy about it maybe my voyeur or my ex- exhibitionist is just very happy because there's all the glass windows
1: yeah yeah <laughs> and it's white and and cubicle and sort of yeah. ultra modern very modern but very sensual it's yeah. sort of a sex lab
2: yeah you're, you're it is like a, i live lab. in a sex lab if only i didn't have a three and a half year old then it would feel really sexy.
0: <laughs> well,
2: so yeah. I'm also a mom. That's also a that a mom, that has right? been a big shift. I believe our sexuality really changes throughout a lifetime. I think people yeah. get stirred up because they think their sex life should it should always be like when I was sixteen. Why can't I have hmm. you know an erection like when I was sixteen? Well Sexuality changes. You mean an
1: erection that lasts about 20 seconds? <laughs> <laughs> an erection followed by premature ejaculation. <laughs> by
2: ejaculation. Yes. You know, when I
1: was 16, I had a king-sized waterbed with a leopard skin cover. Wow. It's embarrassing.
2: Was it a chick magnet or no? Uh,
1: well, there was one chick who, who was magnetized by it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you know, by the time uh, I got to girl back to the king sized waterbed with the leopard skin cover you know it was pretty much a done deal by then yeah it, yeah yeah Yeah. they
2: no. didn't run screaming when they saw it
1: oh uh, no no the door was locked they couldn't get out they couldn't
2: get out you had them trapped <laughs> you have <laughs> come to window. my sex lair <laughs> that's right <laughs> how was sex on the waterbed
1: uh well it took me a while before i understood you had to buy a heater for it oh yes so that was an issue my uncle had a waterbed shop and he mm-hmm. gave me the you know it must have been some surplus waterbed mm-hmm. yeah so i built the frame <laughs> myself right and i it was just a big plastic bag is all it was these it was pretty early in the waterbed days there were no baffles or whatever and i remember sleeping in and after you know the first night it was like i was dreaming of antarctica the whole night you know like sleeping on a glacier and and I then my back hurt and it was like, oh, this is really not as good.
2: But Hugh Hefner has one, so
1: Yeah, so I gotta <laughs> I gotta figure this out. So finally I figured out oh wait, they sell heaters. Oh, uh, put a heater under it and then that made it a little better. Yeah.
2: yeah. My yeah. one of my big gloves had a waterbed. Mm. And so I much preferred being on the floor to so the water beds actually.
1: Yeah, I think they're overrated. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, so so I
2: was talking about sexuality,
1: yeah and, and being, a mother, a so you, being a mother. So did you did you have your child in in the Black Sea?
2: Um, well, I study. I actually apprenticed with a woman who was doing that. Oh, really? And while I couldn't arrange to have my child in the Black Sea, I did have my son. I planned an orgasmic birth, so I had clitoral stimulation and anal massage and all kinds of very interesting things during the birth of my son in water on top of a mountain with seven horses, stallions surrounding me. It was pretty incredible. I mean, his birth was a wow. really incredible experience. Just, I think a lot of what made it successful successful for me was the understanding that I had about the link between orgasm and birth and that you needed to be in the same brain state. Right. And so, um, and and learning how to female ejaculate because I had taught myself how to female ejaculate. That was really helpful for pushing because I was really in touch with the muscles of, to expel the fluid because that was how I learned to female ejaculate was by bearing down or doing what's called a reverse kegel of the pelvic floor. And so by learning how to bear down that way, I was able to teach myself how to ejaculate even without any arousal. I can just like bear down and, and have some kind of ejaculatory experience for the most
1: part instant no, are, are ejaculation hydrated after uh an ejaculation? it is
2: like good really good to drink a lot of water and it depends on how much you ejaculate like right. i i've seen women who just trickle a little bit you know and, and i'm more of like a trickler i have done the whole like big major squirting thing but i would say my norm is more of like a trickle thing without mm. the push out right. and then there are women who i have just seen buckets and buckets and buckets and I'm like, where, and this is how I know that this cannot be pee because you cannot possibly urinate this much clear fluid like this. So they do say, you know, drink a lot of water and I, that can be something that can prohibit you from ejaculating is actually being really overly dehydrated. So you want to make sure that you you stay well hydrated. If you are ejaculating copious amounts of ejaculate and if, or if it's something you want to learn is, uh, Definitely, now definitely you, advisable. Is it something
1: that you think women should learn? Is, is there? I what's don't the think advantage? there's a
2: should necessarily right, yeah, good, on female ejaculation. Good. I don't want you know women to be all pressured like uh, right, this is something thing I have I to learn how, do. how to yeah. do. The benefits to it, if women are interested in learning, one, I feel like there is an emotional element to the urethral sponge, which is where the fluid you know, is coming from. There's a sponge in the body, and I feel like it does hold a lot of emotion. Hmm. From what I've seen, women who are ejaculating tend to release emotion with ejaculation. So it might be crying laughter, it might be crying, crying. It, there's some sort of sense of relief of release that is very deep, much deeper than just a, a regular orgasm. Right. Ejaculation can happen without an orgasm. And I think that that's very interesting for thing women as well. for women as well. Huh. So um, they're not always linked with an orgasm. Right. Um, for me, my experience of it has been mostly like it's a champagne bubble orgasm. I get very giggly and it's like bubbles are coming to the surface. I, that's like the best way that I can describe it. And I have had emotional release along with the ejaculation. Right. Um, I could take or leave ejaculation. It isn't something that I'm like, oh my God, this is like the most amazing orgasm. But for some women, it is the penultimate experience. It is like the most amazing orgasm they can possibly have.
0: Hmm. If I
2: want an emotional release, I would go for that kind of like an ejaculatory orgasm. Right. For me personally, but it, I think it's different for every woman. And... Um, For me, it was more like, I'm a sexologist. I I need to learn how to do this just because I'm, uh, my personal mission is to discover all that's erotically possible. So if that's something that's erotically possible, I have to discover how to do it and how to teach other people to do it. So uh, I was lucky enough to have a very willing lover who studied a lot of this stuff and was like, all right, let's do it. And then I ejaculated and then I thought, oh, maybe it's just him you know who can provoke, who can provoke it yeah. but then i started doing it on my own so then i was really happy because i was like haha right i can do it on my own all by myself
1: you say it's a reverse kegel so it's a muscular contraction that's part core. of
2: it um for me i when i have an orgasm naturally and i think a lot of women do this when you have an orgasm naturally you kind of pull up with your pelvic floor muscles and mm. you feel them sort of contracting right? right it's like more of an up the orgasm sort of comes up right. as opposed to out like right. with a man it's it's a sensation of going out uh-huh. of the body oh, and so what I had to learn to do was to get in touch with the sensation of my orgasm pushing out of my right. body as opposed to drawing up and in oh. so I started learning how to really push out with my pelvic floor muscles especially in higher arousal I would just start pushing out with the pelvic floor pushing out pushing out against my partner's penis or fingers with fingers I could really feel it you know like I could almost like push his fingers out of me sort
1: of g-spot stimulation mm-hmm. right.
2: Um, and this is more of an anchor and pull technique. Mm-hmm. So it's not just in and out friction. It's right. anchoring into the skin and then pulling the skin towards you right. for guys who are doing this right. and really finding and locating her G spot, which is for a lot of people, very challenging. But you're looking for that rugged area of skin, almost feels like scar tissue. And um, there's divots on either side of the G-spot usually. So there's like a gully on mm. either side. And you can find those gullies. And sometimes in the gullies, there's there's more erectile tissue that's even more sensitive. Right. And this is pretty close to the vaginal opening. A lot of people go too far back for right. most women, about right. 70% of women's.
1: And, and it also, I think a lot of men... Miss it because the woman will say, Oh no, that just makes me want to pee. Pee. That,
2: right. You're in the right spot. Yeah, that is
1: the right spot. <laughs> yeah. It's just the wrong moment. Yeah. You just wait a little And later.
2: it may be too soon, too. because that's yeah, what I mean. It's she too needs soon. to be yeah. aroused. Yeah. Usually it's easier to find it if she's more aroused. Right. So right. the longer. And it, for the majority of women, it can take. 45 minutes for the pelvic floor to get fully aroused. And mm-hmm. if men are only lasting seven, then you know we've got a, a difference in time there. So it's really important to spend that time to, I mean, I've seen women when they're fully engorged, fully aroused, meaning all of their erectile network is lit up with blood or prosthetic fluid it looks like there's a football.
1: (laughs) Kind of like a swollen chimpanzee. uh, Yep. Yep. I mean, Mm -hmm. this idea that, you know, women have no sexual swellings.
2: What? <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm sorry. You're just not looking in the right place at the right time. <laughs> You're missing time.
2: something because yeah, I, you know it's been sort of one of my. I like to document these things because I want to prove that they exist. And mm. what does a really fully engorged vulva look like? Because we see porn, and like we were just talking about, right. usually the brain is so involved that it's really right. hard to get full engorgement, and there's not enough time taken to get full engorgement. Right. That is steady, time. right? And so we don't see what a fully engorged vulva looks like. Fully engorged labia, the clitoris, the urethral opening, the donut around that. So I've taken it upon myself to take pictures. Mm. And I have this amazing photograph of this woman. Um she was an ejaculator and we were like, "Don't ejaculate. I want to get a picture." <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry, don't
2: ejaculate. I need to get a picture of what a fully engorged urethral sponge looks like from the external, not inside. But right. I want to get a photograph of the donut that swells up around the urethral opening because people overlook that area as an erogenous area and they don't, they have a very little understanding of what that looks like when a woman is about to ejaculate when she's fully engorged in the urethral sponge, right? Which is also sometimes called the G spot, but mm-hmm. it's actually a, more of a tube then it is just one little spot that you're looking for. Hmm. And it fills up with prosthetic fluid. And so anyway, so um, we took a picture of this and I'm so proud of this picture because it's like a perfect donut swollen around her urethral opening. You know, like somebody just popped a little swollen donut right there. And it's like, wow, this is true. This isn't like something I've imagined. I have felt it in lots of bodies. I've seen it in lots of bodies. And now I have a photograph to prove it to everyone. <laughs> like, wow. this is what happens. Sounds like
1: a fruit loop or Cheerio. Or yeah, something.
2: it's like, it is. It's yeah. like a little Cheerio around the urethral opening. And nobody plays with that. I mean, like the tip of the tongue, it's great to play with. The, the, you don't want to press too hard in that. But, mm-hmm. you know, the, the finger. And it, for some women, it can be a little annoying at first, just mm. kind of like G-spot. Like, oh, I feel like I have to pee. Right, right. But I can make myself ejaculate just by tapping on my urethral opening. Just having that reflex there hmm. causes the ejaculation. So.
1: Wow. Yeah. I think it's time for a break.
2: Okay. <laughs> well, while I demonstrate.
1: While Jaya taps on her Cheerio, we'll <laughs> we'll take a brief break. Uh Let me see. I need to, to remind readers to go to feralaudio.com. Check out some of the other podcasts there, especially my favorite, the Duncan Trussell Family Hour with my pal Duncan, who had me on his podcast twice, and, and I've recorded one with him uh, so far. And uh, there's an, audio, uh, an Amazon affiliate link at Tangentially Speaking, uh, which is, you can get to that through Feral Audio, where you can order all your favorite things on Amazon.com. And uh, some of their money, Amazon's money, will come to support the podcast, even though it doesn't cost you anything extra. You have uh, affiliate links on your website? No. It's 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 great. It's free money. It's great. I needed to get them. People just go through the link, they go to Amazon, they buy whatever they Mm -hmm. buy, and then you get like 2% or something of what they spend. It's great. It doesn't cost them anything. It's great. i get
2: my office manager on Yeah,
1: get on that. It's great. (laughs) By the way, speaking of Amazon, do you know that people are selling fake uh, Hitachi magic wands online these days? Fake? Yeah. Got one just the other day. Really? Through eBay. So if you're looking for a Hitachi magic wand, which is the Cadillac of vibrators, most yes. women would say. Um, we can talk about that after the break, but don't <laughs> buy it on eBay because there's some bastards out there selling fake ones made oh, in wow. China. And uh, the real Hitachi is a workhorse. Yes. You don't, you and don't want fake And they're probably not
2: very good materials that you want anywhere the world They're not
1: good up. materials. The, the, the ele- it's, I could smell burning wiring oh, no! You know? and, and we actually use it for massage. massage. Yeah. Right. They're great for neck and back massage right. and all that. And yeah, burned out in like an hour. It was a piece of crap. Wow. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. What else do I have to remind people of? Uh, your websites we've already talked about. So we'll just take a break and we'll be back in a minute.
0: A little music and a soft touch. Why don't you let it out play?
1: All right. We're back, tangentially speaking, with Jaya Ma. Before we get into uh, talking about your amazing birth experience, I just want to, I always forget to thank Carsey Blanton for the theme song for the show, because when we're recording, we don't hear it. And then when Dustin, the editor, sends me the, the tape to listen to before it goes goes live, I hear that beautiful song, and I think, again, I forgot to, to mention Carsey Blanton. So go to carseyblanton.com, check out her, her other music. She's pretty big she opened for paul simon and some other uh big acts and uh she's a wonderful person you can also look in the archives for the the interview i did with her that was really fun where she played uh, smoke alarm the theme song acoustically uh, as well as a song she does a great song she says uh she's looking she's i don't remember the lyrics but it's about you know don't give me your love show me your backbone Mm. like i want a man with a backbone Mm -hmm. you know don't don't do what i tell you do what's right you know it's it's a pretty cool song that
2: reminds me of a kate bush song where she says i don't want your bullshit i just want your sensuality Mm. i was like oh i just love that line Mm. yeah
1: yeah there's plenty of bullshit in the world we don't need that (laughs) from our, our intimates um so, if you don't mind, let's let's uh, give us a picture of what this birth was like. Sure. Your birth experience. Well, I
2: was preparing for an orgasmic birth, as, right. I, as I said, and um, while I wouldn't say the whole thing was orgasmic, I would say it was more of a shamanic experience, certainly. And uh, one of the mistakes I made was having nine people there, it kept me in my cerebral cortex a little bit longer than I. How wanted did you
1: choose the nine people?
2: Well, it actually just sort of happened, right? Because I was really worried about after the baby was going to come. And I wanted to have postpartum support, but my baby was late. So when they were all flying in from other places and just so happened, and then I decided I wanted to film it because it was going to be this orgasmic experience. And, you know, my filmmaker part of me was like, we got to record everything. (laughs) So, you know, something's happening that's important. We got to record it. And so I had film people there and then
0: Mm.
2: everybody wanted to be there because it was like, you know, she's going to do an orgasmic birth. This is like... Yeah, no pressure. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, have an orgasm. That's like telling, you know, telling somebody to have an orgasm.
1: Yeah. So you had nine people and seven horses. Nine
2: people and, well, this was the orgasmic part. So there was the shamanic part where I was just sort of out of my mind. I didn't know what was going on. I was very inward, sort of cosmic. I can't really describe it. It's like beyond any kind of words. But the orgasmic parts there were two one was we had a pool outdoors on the mountaintop I mean amazing beautiful you know like today like this California blue sky the wind is whipping around and the water's like so perfect and warm and Mm. this big tub with my lover you know gazing in my eyes and I have uh, a doula behind me who's doing pelvic floor massage that just felt so I mean I was just Completely ecstatic. I was pretending I was a whale in the water, but anyway, the, these horses come and gather around, and they stand there. And one of them is this white stallion, and the sun's just hitting. I mean, just like like a fairy tale, you know. And the stallion starts like making these crazy. I mean, standing perfectly still. You just don't see horses do this. They yeah. Stand perfectly still and like sort of tilt their heads, and they're making this like whiny, like high pitched sounds coming out of them. I've never heard horses make these sounds. So it was like they knew something interesting was going on sure. or almost like they were helping. I don't know, it was mm. a really strange moment, but mm. really incredible. Yeah. And then uh, the second orgasmic experience was when I went inside, they made me come inside, I didn't want to go inside, but it was getting too cold, and it was getting dark. Uh. So I moved inside and we had a tub inside as well. And got into the tub inside and when he was born, that was incredible. I was like completely calm. I'm just kind of like swaying in the water. And then all of a sudden it was like, poof, like this totally orgasmic. My wow. lover was behind me, you know, holding me in the tub mm-hmm. and very sensual and really, really lovely. So wow. That's great. Uh, it was, it, it I wouldn't say the whole thing was orgasmic. It was more shamanic, but I had these two orgasmic moments. And then I think the the big part for me, and I didn't feel this, but I think it was the big thing that affected my sexuality more than anything else in my life. This event of becoming a mother, both on a physiological level and emotional and all the other stuff that have biochemical. I mean, like on every level mm-hmm. shifted my sex life so radically because I would say I went from a total sex goddess to a totally freaked out mom. <laughs> Sex goddess to freaked out mom.
1: I see a sitcom. There. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Sex goddesses to freaked out mom yes. tonight. Um, and what happened was when he was born and I didn't feel it at all because I was so high on all the endorphins and everything from the yeah. natural birth yeah. was that I tore from my vaginal opening to my anus and then in. So it was like an L shaped along the vaginal floor and down. And I was stitched, and she said, Oh, you know, like this is pretty intense, and you'll probably have some, you know, differences mm. happening. Right, and right. I was like, ah, I didn't like hearing that. Yeah. And then, um, so there's been a lot of mourning around, mm. like, here I was before, and now here I am oh, after. Right. But I grew keloidal scars all through my pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. And keloidal scars, for those of you who don't know, are the big raised puffy, purple, you know, sort of looking things. Mm. Well, they grew over my vaginal opening, which meant no penetration. I, I was like, I thought I was going to have to have reconstructive reconstructive surgery of my entire pelvic floor. Oh I was like, there's God. no way I'm ever having sex again. Ah.
0: Like, this is
2: it was so horrible and devastating because
0: I'm a sexologist I'm a sex
2: goddess I'm having sex all the time and I practice what I preach and oh my gosh I'm so damaged now so luckily I found this amazing woman named Ellen Heed, who's also a somatic sexologist sexological body worker and she Um, did scar tissue reclamation work with me and I thought it was so amazing of course I brought a film crew um and and she worked out all of the scars to the point where I had no scars and no pain and I'm talking this was excruciating pain like like, I've never experienced it was worse than giving birth or anything was the pain of trying to have sex with the scar tissue and um And it's something people don't talk about, but a lot of people have scar tissue. I mean, any man who's been circumcised has some scar tissue. Mm. Blood can't get in it. Nerve conductivity can't get in it. And it pinches and it pulls. Mm -hmm. So if you've had any kind of surgery, if you've even had infections, any falls, trauma to your pelvic floor, there's a likelihood that you've got some kind of scar tissue there that can be impeding the optimal pleasure. When I talk about what's erotically possible most people have no clue what's even erotically possible. And there are things that may be inhibiting you. I call them the four obstacles to optimal sexual pleasure. Scar tissue being one of them biochemistry. It was another thing that went off for me when, after I had my son, which was my hormones went crazy. My sex hormones plummeted. My adrenals were adrenal glands were shot, which is where the sex hormones are produced. You've got prolactin coursing through your system, which causes you not to want to have any sex. Luckily I'm mind over matter. I'm a sexologist. Damn it. I'm gonna have sex even if I don't feel like it, you know? Um, but the the biochemistry went completely haywire.
1: You were breastfeeding, breastfeeding, and right. then
2: and then just not producing. I was not producing. I kind of went into like menopause, which is I'm very young for going into menopause. So it was very very interesting to have mm. that happen. So you've got biochemistry can be an obstacle. Mm. You've got psycho emotional stuff. All of a sudden, I'm going from archetype of sex goddess to freaked out mom. Right. And it's like okay, you've got a baby or th- you know co sleeping. Cars in my bed instead of sex toys. Like, right. what is this strange world? You know. And did just, you have
1: two lovers at this point? Yes. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Both of them supported me through the pregnancy and the birth and everything. So, so how did that work really on an emotional amazing. level?
1: Did you? One of them is the father of the child. One of them is the
2: biological right. father. Um, my other partner, John, who I've been with for over ten years, he was not ready for fatherhood. I mean, he was just like, "No, I don't really want to have a baby." And it was. It wasn't like a huge topic of discussion, like where it was like, I knew I wanted to have a baby, but it wasn't like, okay, you're not going to have a baby with me. I'm going to go have a baby with this other guy. It wasn't like that kind of a conversation. It was more like, okay, you're, we're kind of in this thing right now where you're not wanting to have a child. We're sort of in a limbo situation where we're not sure what's happening with us. And I've met this other person and we're sort of in, he wasn't sure if he wanted to have babies or not. And then we started talking about it seriously. And then we knew we were playing with erotic fire. Sure. You know, not necessarily having the best practices around safe prevention mm-hmm. and playing with the idea. You know, we're playing. And once you start playing with that erotic fire, well. All
1: three of you are playing with it? No. No, just you and. D-Love and, love and I, right, yeah, Ian. Right.
2: And, uh, and then, you know, we were sort of. Planning, conscious, kind of not conscious, sort of a wishy-washy situation, and then, well, that erotic fire caused some one
1: thing led to another. A baby to
2: happen, and I'd been told by three doctors that I was infertile and would never have children. Oh, really? It was sort of a crazy, Uh you know. I was two weeks away from going through serious like infertility stuff, and ended up getting pregnant. And I think it's because for the first time in my life, I was having sex for pure pleasure. I'd always had sex for some other reason, like. Mm. Either you're having sex to get pregnant or you're having sex because for me, in my case, I was very into Tantra and Taoism. And it was like for spiritual, psychic, you know, evolutionary development, or I'm having sex to manifest something interesting in my life, or I'm having sex to energy merge with another human being. It was never just like, I just want to fuck you. And can I say fuck? You can
1: show? say, okay, say um, I repeatedly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I never had gotten to the place in my life where it was just okay to just fuck somebody. Really? You know what I mean? Like, it was just like, That's I so had shame. It was that level of shame. Like, so Sex is okay if I'm doing it for a spiritual purpose. It's okay if it's I'm work. doing it to have a baby. It's okay if it's for work purposes yeah. or research. Yeah. But I never allowed myself to just have sex for the pure get, all, get off or. Right.
1: That seems pleasure selfish to you it. Or, it, it or, seemed, or meaningless or something? Well, it
2: was that level of shame. It's right. that, you know, like Catholic. I grew up Catholic, so it's okay. that Catholicism of. Sex is okay if you're procreating, right? You know, right? So and you sort of transformed that into
1: a tantric thing,
2: right? Which right. tantra gave me permission all of a sudden to have sex without just having a baby. Right. It gave me permission to be well. Now I'm having it because I'm in light. I'm I'm attaining enlightenment.
0: Right. You know, like right. okay.
2: So now that gives me. But I think that there's actually a lot of shame in the tantra community because very you're still like I at least was still. Having sex for this spiritual purpose, or health purpose, or wow. educational purpose, but never just because it felt good.
1: That's amazing. I never, I'd never made that connection before. I've noticed, I've made the same observation, but I'd never thought about how having that higher purpose for sex sort of feeds into the same shame circuitry mm-hmm. as you know we're all familiar with with Catholicism or whatever, right? whatever organized religion that's very interesting so now you you were and I, I don't know that much about your past but i've, I've mm-hmm. gone through your website and it seems like you've been into like everything mm-hmm. white tigress white tigress practices yeah. right and and you're deeply into the tantra world mm-hmm. and um, I,
2: I escaped from Tantra Island, but yes,
1: Tantra Island. And no, right. it's not
2: a real place. I've had some people because I talk a lot about escaping from Tantra Island. Really? But.
1: <laughs> no, I have to admit it. I'm in a weird position in terms mm-hmm. of the whole sex positive community because mm-hmm. you know, two and a half years ago, before this book came out, I didn't know anyone. Uh-huh. Right? I I wasn't. I I've never been to a Tantra workshop. I've never. I've never even been to a Grateful Dead concert. Right. You know, never been to Burning Man. So I'm sort of a real outsider. To a lot of this community and suddenly I find myself like
2: everyone loves right in the middle of it. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And I think people expect me to be much more familiar with a lot of things than I actually am, Mm -hmm. you know. Because I'm coming at it, you know, I've got a certain amount of personal experience, but even my personal experience is pretty limited to like, you know, straight white guy from America. Uh You know, I mean I haven't like had sex with Hunter-gatherer women in
0: Botswana, <laughs> much
1: as I regret admitting that, um, uh, and I, I really haven't been as adventurous as a lot of people. Certainly, mm-hmm. a lot of people in this uh, in this world, but I have always felt skeptical
0: mm-hmm.
1: of Tantra Island, and I guess, and you know, I'm re- I'm really resonating with what you just said, maybe because it feeds into my own preconceptions, but I can't help feeling sometimes that there's this, you know, I. I I feel like pleasure should be fun mm-hmm. and when people turn take pleasure really seriously it starts to turn me off mm-hmm. in some instinctive way
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we get way too serious about sex. Yeah. And, you know, Tantra is beautiful, and I think it really can help people have deeper connections. And I think if you're not too serious about it and you get into the playful aspects of Tantra and Tantric sex versus Tantra as a spiritual path,
0: mm. and I think
2: that it's really important to delineate the difference between the two. Right. Um, but there are, it's not perfect. You yeah. know, I think some people sort of hold it up on a pedestal. And this is why I say when I escaped from Tantra Island, because I found that I was hiding shame. Right. In that community. And I also felt that there are aspects that shame you. Like um, there's in some aspects of the tantra community, I won't say all of it, but some in the more neo tantra world, it's sort of like, oh, you don't like to do this certain sexual activity. Well, you're just not enlightened enough. Right. You know, and I think that that's very dangerous. because right. One, it's it's not honoring someone's boundaries. Right. Like a boundary is a bad thing. And yeah. I think that sexual boundaries are actually very, very important. And it's very important mm. for us to honor sexual boundaries. But to know the difference between a sexual resistance and a sexual boundary is very right. important.
1: That's an excellent and
2: point. And never to push someone. Like, like you're just not enlightened enough if you don't like to have anal sex with five guys tonight right. for our
1: tantra ritual. It's like,
0: right.
2: no, like, that's just, to me, that's creepy and not, not right.
1: Yeah, I've spoken to some women who have been in that world, and one of the things I keep hearing is that there are there are sort of charismatic figures who, mm-hmm. you know, feed on the insecurity. It's almost like a Charles Manson kind of mm-hmm. vibe without the killing, mm-hmm. um, but with all the fucking and the mind control and the you know, mm-hmm. my dick is gonna like trans.
2: Yeah, I have the sacred heaven. lingam that will heal the whole world. Yeah. Lingam is our term for penis, right. but you know, yeah. now I say the sh- sacred schlong, the since sacred I've escaped.
0: Schlong.
2: My sh- my sacred schlong will heal you and heal the world, and you must have sex with me right. in order to attain this yeah. special place in the world yeah. of enlightenment, yeah. to be so, a true goddess.
1: I mean, we were talking about Neil Strauss earlier, who mm-hmm. we both met, and I interviewed him for the podcast. The first episode that was that went online was mm-hmm. the interview with him. Which is interesting because he's such a an interviewer. Mm-hmm. You know, he's interviewed mm-hmm. everyone—Madonna right. to you know whatever Sting. I don't know, and anyone you can think of, he's interviewed. And so, trying to interview him is is like he's so slippery. He keeps turning the tables, and I find myself <laughs> like answering questions about my mother. And like, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm interviewing you. What's this have to do with my mother? But uh, we were talking about this, and he said he never trusts a spiritual person in the material world,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know? So it's like, okay, you're a guru, right. then you shouldn't be asking anyone for money, right? Right? Either you're a spiritual person or you're Deepak Chopra with diamonds on your glasses, right. you know, you right. can't be both.
0: Right.
1: And I kind of feel that way in, sexo- in, in sexuality. There's a lot of sexual materialism, mm. you know, that uh, the, people want to translate their sexual practice or their or their knowledge or whatever into fucking lots of people Mm -hmm. you know which is Mm -hmm. fine Mm -hmm. if those people want to fuck you but not if you're selling fucking you as some door to heaven or enlightenment you know
2: right when you have sex with me your penis will grow
1: (laughs) but that's true isn't it kind of I,
2: but I think it has something to do with sperm competition.
1: I think, no, but didn't you say that last time we talked? You last said every met, man who's been I said with just you. About
2: every man who's been with me has had an increase in their penis size. Now, I have a couple of theories about why this may happen. One is I have multiple lovers. Right. So if there was like sperm competition, wouldn't the penis want to get bigger in order to sort of like pull more stuff out
1: no we're not talking about just growing you know for the next hour we're talking about permanent changes
2: changes in their in their penile at least while they're with me i don't you know
1: i don't know oh you can take away the special power (laughs) you can retract (laughs) literally retract to the growth oh that's so
2: and and also the this idea that maybe they're just having more sex than they've ever had And so therefore more, they're getting a lot of blood flow over a longer amount of time Mm. to their penile tissue. And so therefore they're getting a little bit more length and girth to their penis because they're staying in a more engorged state or maybe they're just in a more engorged state than they've ever been before. And so there's some amount of, I don't know, I have some interesting theories about why this may happen because, Mm. you know, if you're my partner you're you're obviously needing to have mm. a lot of sex with me because
1: the scientist in me is dying to investigate this <laughs> yes. I'll, I'll get back you to need to do personal research get back see, to see the this listeners. is where you
2: can use some sexual materialism, you could say you know I have to research I have
1: to research this is what
2: I do I have to research so exactly. I need you to come you over can trust and research me, I'm me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i 'm a
1: doctor I once pretended to be a doctor in an airplane yeah. not intentionally i i didn't but they they it was a flight from uh Paris to were you LAX. delivering a baby? No, but they made the announcement. You uh-huh. know, we need a doctor. If there's a doctor, please, you know, hit your button. Nobody did, and then they announced it again, and nobody did. And I was in the back of the plane, and the two stewardesses were standing right next to me, and they were like, "What are we gonna do? There are no doctors. What are we gonna do? I don't know. Oh, this is terrible. What are we gonna do?" And I, I was sitting right there, and I said, um, "You know, I'm, I'm not a medical doctor, but I teach in a medical school. Is there something I can help you with?" Uh-huh. And and they said, oh, blow! Oh, yeah, come with us, come with us. And they just, like, said, oh, we have a doctor, we have a doctor. I, I never said I was a doctor. i teaching. And, and I also didn't say I taught English in a medical school. <laughs> but my wife's a doctor. You know, I have lots right. of friends who are doctors. So I don't know. Maybe it I could help someone. You know, and I had right. been a lifeguard, and I did first aid and shit. So, and it turned out that it was a guy who was having a panic attack. Uh-huh. And I am a psychologist, right. so I guess that was an you know easy there one. You go. that worked. But they wanted, um, you know, they'd called down to the ground uh, control people, and they wanted uh, heart rate and blood pressure. And the stewardess mm-hmm. didn't even know how to take his heart rate or really? his blood that's pressure.
2: Really, that's very surprising. I would think all stewardesses would be trained in. I would doing think so too. Like
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I took the guy's heart rate and blood pressure, and chatted with him, and found out why he was uptight, which is mm-hmm. that he had had a blood clot. A few years earlier, so and he, he was having some pain in his leg, mm, and
2: freaking out about that.
1: Yeah, and he was just freaking out, and so mm-hmm. I just sort of talked him off the ledge, and everything was fine. Mm-hmm. And then they gave me a bottle of warm champagne. Wow, wasn't that great? My
2: cure is always just to have an orgasm. Somebody could, have, one of the stewardesses could have fixed
1: that. That's yeah, he and, have had an orgasm he have and he would to join the felt more Mile High Club? Yeah. So I presume you're in the Mile High Club.
2: Okay, so here's my Mile High story. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this counts. So I had to masturbate for 101 days. It was a project I put on myself for research purposes, right? I decided as a new mom that I wanted to get back in touch with my sexy and my my sex goddess. You know, I was like yeah. I have to get back in touch with this. And my partner was just like, I cannot have sex with you for 101 days. We're just too busy.
1: This was going to be my next question. Yeah. I'm so glad you, okay. you just go into this. How okay. did you get back to sex goddess from freaked out mom?
2: So so yes, yeah. this is one of the ways. One of the ways is uh, I did a self pleasure project where for 101 days I explored all the different ways that I could self pleasure. I had a sex toy company who sponsored it and they sent me like I don't know 30 or 40 different sex toys so I had that to explore as part of it Um, I'm a big advocate that my hands are my greatest asset so um, you know I did a lot of different things with my hands different things with my body so for 101 days straight this is what I did well during that time I had to fly to Scotland to teach I was uh, teaching at a workshop with Tony Robbins Mm. I'm familiar with him and uh I yes, yeah, so this is funny. So I have to masturbate the whole time that I'm in Scotland. But I thought, okay, I'm on the I'm on an airplane for like 24 hours. Oh. So I've got to figure out how I'm going to masturbate on the airplane without and, and you know you can't like, just like tying throw a up
1: blanket over tying up
2: the bathroom or you know I was like yeah. I don't know about throwing a blanket over me. I don't know that, that seems too risky. And so so I um I got these kegel balls. Because Kegel balls are my favorite sex toy. Oh, I'm really? I'm over vibrators or anything else. So really? These I, are
1: the, not Benoit balls?
2: Yeah, like Benoit balls. So two of them? Yeah. Bounce th- these bounce together? Are, these are two. They're by Lalo. And they're called Luna Pleasure Beads. And um, they're two balls. And they jiggle. So there's like a metal ball inside of them. Oh,
1: like a Mexican jumping bead.
2: E- kind of, yes. Yeah. And when there's turbulence on the airplane. Oh, my. That's exciting. So And they have a string so you can pull them out. Well, so... I got in the airplane and I didn't want to go through security with the Kegel balls. I mean, you, know, <laughs> they might, like, you have metal inside your vagina. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So I put them in, I got them through security in my bag and I put them in, um, on the plane when I first got on the long flight over to Scotland from New York. And, um, <laughs> and so the bride happened to be very turbulent. So every time there's turbulence, you know, they're like, Kidding, and there, and you can squeeze around them. And mm. a lot of people don't know, but you can give yourself. I can think myself off as well as right. you know. I can just give an or, give myself an orgasm just by squeezing right. uh, my pelvic floor muscles because it sandwiches your entire erectile a network. Coregasm. A
1: corgasm. A
2: corgasm. Yeah, that's what some people say when you do sit ups. I guess right, right.
1: and you know, all sorts of gym machines. Because my yeah. wife, like, loves she, she's a machine. super athlete in the gym three hours a day. And then after a couple of years, I realized she's having orgasms. She's having
2: corgasms. Wow, man, it's like. No wonder
1: women and gay men, you know, they have a great time. No wonder they're all fit. You know, what about us straight guys? If I was having an orgasm every time I went to the gym, I'd yeah. look like Dan Savage. Yeah, you know, well, at least my shoulders would. Uh, <laughs> anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Um, so you're, okay, so, so you're bouncing I'm, through I'm the guys. I'm Atlantic. getting really
2: turned on doing Kegel exercises. You're flying alone. Yes, I was flying alone. So
1: some guy sitting next to you. Some guys
2: sitting next, picking to me, up
1: on the pheromones. Probably. Oh I my god! Long so, flight for him.
2: Um, I kept them in for a really long time, like I don't know, a couple of hours at least, maybe three or four hours, and then it just got to the point where I was like, I can't stand it anymore. Right? You're coming. Uh, like yeah, like but I or like I felt like I was going to ejaculate really badly.
1: Oh, that would be harder. So
2: I decided to go to the bathroom to take them out. When I took them out. Whoosh, gush everywhere all in the bathroom really of the airplane Really? <laughs> anyway so ejaculate i ejaculated from having the kegel balls inside
1: and but they had blocked all that time the, the they had release. Been blocking
2: the release of it thank goodness and so when i went to pull them out it all came gushing out wow so that's my mile high club i don't know if that really counts because it's a self-pleasure session but i did ejaculate on an airplane
1: yeah, I don't know. Well, uh, I wish we—I wish this were a call-in show, so I could say, "People, <laughs> call in. Let us know what you think." Does that, does that count? I'm surprised that you must not fly very often. I'm surprised that's your your only. Uh...
2: I fly. You know, I fly a lot. Really, but I fly alone a lot of times. Hmm. So, wow. I'm not really flying with a partner or anything like that.
1: Oh, right. right. No.
2: I've I've fantasized about it with a partner, but I think all my partners have been too chicken. They're just not as adventurous as I am. Really? I kind of I guess I choose guys who are just kind of not as...
1: So if I were to like get you off with my hand, would my fingers mm-hmm. get longer?
2: I don't I don't think so. <laughs> I think it only works with the rectal tissue.
1: Okay, all right.
2: Maybe your lips would get bigger.
1: My lips, my nose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we don't want that. No. No, don't want that. <laughs>
2: I thought you were gonna offer.
1: Well, I'll, yeah. After the podcast, no one knows Chris what is blushing
2: a little bit, I think. I was
1: born blushing. That's what happens when you're white. So white. I
2: still blush. People are always surprised. They're like, Jire, you're blushing. You talk about sex all the time. I'm like, no, I blush all the time.
1: Yeah. I think I got you blushing last time we talked. I don't remember what it was, but I remember thinking, oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I think or maybe it was because you were you were you and uh, D Love were on your way to a colonoscopy. Colonic <laughs> <laughs> it's like I, I was feeling like man, am I in LA? Cuz that was like 2 days after arriving in LA. Right. And we're like um
2: we have to bolt out of the interview because we're getting colonics. And today. there's
1: like a, a high definition screen where yep. you can watch your your Ass being irrigated. Yeah.
2: Let me tell you, it has been one of the most profound experiences of my life. Really? Seriously. Like I was talking about my anus being my final frontier of shame. Right. I think the shame is gone. Really? You know, after I've had probably 40 colonics now. Mm. And, uh, I had a lot of shame when I was a kid, I would hide when I went to the bathroom, like Mm. under the beds or whatever. And I don't know where that shame came from. Like if it was diaper changing or whatever, but I always had shame about, about like that taboo area. You know, nobody's going near it. It's dirty, blah, 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 all that stuff. And, uh, you know, I had, had been an anal massage demo. I was very proud about that for a workshop and, you know, to, to, be the demo model for that was a really big releasing of shame
1: how many people in the workshop? uh
2: 30 people so 30 yeah, people was... are
1: watching you get your anus massage
2: yes so the back up a year before this i couldn't even receive anal massage like i was so shamed about it and like so much stuff was coming up all i could do was have my pelvic floor held like over my anus with a hand and I shook uncontrollably for like 45 minutes because I had I just I was like so shame and my body had was holding on to so much tension around being touched in that area of my body mm. and all this stuff and um Fast forward a year, I'm on faculty for the same workshop, and, I'm, and I am offer to be the demo model just to challenge myself, because this is how I am. I'm just like, this thing is in my way, I want to be more free, I've got to get rid of this shame, so wow. I'm going to be the demo model. Right. And then I actually, my anal massage video, my Red Hot Touch anal massage video, I'm in it, which was even bigger, you know, it's one thing to be a demo model for 30 people, it's a whole other thing to be on camera
0: right. as a demo
2: model, but my model freaked out last minute, and I uh-huh. had to step in. So it was a perfect opportunity for me to release yet another layer of shame and be filmed receiving an anal massage from my partner, John. So anyway, the colonics have been yet another step, and I'll spare everyone from the story. <laughs> but um, they have been not so much sexually, but just a step in this whole like healing this idea around that part of my body being bad or wrong, and that the things that come out of it are the just you know, bad or wrong in some way. Cause pretty mm. girls there, I have some kind of weird, you know, there has been a weird psychology around, around it and a pattern of holding.
1: Do you ever feel that it's, that there's a, f- how can I say this properly? Um,
2: We're talking about poop. I don't know. Is it proper?
1: No, Going no into I, another topic. I'm thinking about shame. I'm <laughs> yeah. thinking about whether there's a, uh, that that we lose something something uh, valuable when we lose shame. I mean, mm-hmm. in general, I would say shame is a very destructive, toxic, poisonous. Mm-hmm.
2: But it can also be the thing that really turns us on.
1: That's what I was going to say. Yeah. It's like, who has hotter sex than the priest and the nun who sneak out right. into the woods? Right. You know? I mean, it's all fucked up and weird in every right. other way. But man, when they're doing it, it must just be like, oh. Like there's
2: a throes of passion that comes out of something that's so taboo. That Well, it, as
1: you were saying earlier, it must be the frontal cortex mm-hmm. must just be shut down completely. Mm-hmm. Because any thought about what we're doing is, is going to just mm-hmm. like, you know, God is watching us. Right. We're, 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 you know, we're denying every, or, you know, I'm sure you know the book, the erotic mind, uh-huh, Jack, Jack Morin. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he says that, you know, uh, when you have attraction plus, plus an obstacle, obstacle, you get passion yeah.
2: or no, it's um, mystery and obstacle equal hot attraction. Hmm. So it's, it's in every story we think about yeah. Romeo and Juliet, right. Right. we've got the mystery and the yeah. obstacle of, these two people who aren't supposed to be together. Right. We've got the Twilight series in Modern Day. You right. know, he's a vampire. He's all mysterious. He can't. He can't read her mind, so she's mysterious to him. They have the right. obstacle of he might eat her at any time. You know, like, <laughs>
0: exactly, you know,
2: and that creates that yeah. hot sex and that hot yeah. attraction. I love that. I, I love that formula of Jack's. Yeah, it's brilliant. yeah,
1: it's so so simple. But when, as you say, once you you get it into your head, you see it everywhere, right? mm-hmm. and so. By removing shame, I mean, you and I both are in the business of removing these obstacles mm-hmm. from our own lives and other people's lives. Mm-hmm. And I think in general, that's a really positive thing to be doing. But I can't help thinking that, you know, it's like a couple that, you know, when your long distance relationship, man, you get together, those weekends are amazing. And then the
2: sparks fly.
1: But then you, you solve all your problems and you buy a house together and mm-hmm. you're living yeah, together. So and uh, yeah, <laughs> the, the heat just dissipates mm-hmm. pretty quickly. And I wonder if, you know, if because I'm not really ashamed of anything at this point. Mm-hmm. I wonder if I'm shooting myself in the foot. Yeah. I, I need so to are find Are you still something. having hot sex? Uh, Yeah, but I'm 50. So there's also the age thing, right. you know, where I'm not as... Uh,
2: You're not as testosterone-driven to, like, bang it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, I'm more cerebral about it now, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, I've always been pretty cerebral about it, but, uh yeah. It, it, I think it was more like. I
2: think you need a good Taoist erotic massage.
1: A Taoist? Yeah. 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 A good erotic and a massage. irrigation and a haircut. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need the whole treatment. All right. Well, listen, thank you very much for doing this. I could talk You're to you all welcome. afternoon, but I know you've got things to do and places to go, and people to meet and all that. Let's yeah. do it again sometime. Of it's, course. It's really nice talking to you. Yes. Thank you.
2: You're very welcome.
1: All right, so we'll catch you next week on Tangentially Speaking, and Carsey Blanton will play us out. Thanks.
0: He said, baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time? Think about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say Why don't you let it out to play? Your heart is in a birdcage, singing in your chest. You want to shut it up or give it a rest? You're going to die. dancing to the ground